Uh, well, good afternoon, everyone. It's great to, uh, great to see you here. Uh, my name is Kevin. Uh, I'm not normally at 4.30, uh, normally over at uh, the Carlton side of our parish, uh, but I have the wonderful joy of coming and sharing uh, God's Word with you this afternoon. Uh, now, given my other responsibilities at church, I don't often get to uh, preach uh, to adults. Uh, usually about once well, I share the, the Bible with kids as part of my role. Uh, but I uh, usually end up preaching to adults maybe about once, uh, once a term or something like that. Uh, and I must admit, I feel a little bit bad preaching today. Uh, if you've been with us at church, you know we've been looking at the book of two kings in the Old Testament. And it seems like we've had bad king after bad king, right? It's been such a sort of sad story. And now finally, right, we get a good king. We get good King Hezekiah. And uh, who gets to preach? Well, me. <laughs> uh, where's Josh? He's on holiday. He misses out. He gets all the bad kings. I get the good king, right? That's the way that it goes. Now, today we're going to be looking at uh, four chapters of two kings. So it's going to be quite a lot to cover. Uh, we won't be able to look at all of it in detail. Uh, we're really going to spend most of our time looking at chapters 18 and 19. Uh, but then at the end, I will just say a couple of things about chapters 20 and 21, just to help you uh, understand how they fit into the book of two kings. All right, well, let's get started. We're going to look. So chapter 18, uh, verse 1, we meet the new king, Hezekiah. Uh, and then we read in verse 3 some really good news, right? Verse 3, he, Hezekiah, he did what was right in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestor David had done. Uh, it's a little bit sad, but we're surprised by that, aren't we? Uh, we've had so many bad kings come before, uh, but here we have a good king, a king who did right in the Lord's sight, just like, well, just like King David. Uh, and what was the right that he did? Well, Hezekiah wanted to get rid of the idolatry in the nation of Israel. So verse 4, he removed the high places, he shattered the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah poles. Uh, the fact that he removed the high places, that's significant, right? There have been good kings already uh, through in the, in the southern part in Judah already, uh, but Hezekiah is the first to remove the high places, these kind of places of idolatry uh, outside the city. Uh, you can see there, verse 4, he also uh, breaks into pieces this bronze snake that Moses had made. Uh, this comes from uh, Numbers 21. You might remember the story. There was a, a plague that came. Moses made this uh, bronze snake and he put it up on a pole. And uh, if you were bitten by the snake, if you looked at it, then you, then you would get better, Right. But uh, many years later, it seems that this bronze snake had become a snare to God's people. Uh, they'd started burning incense to it. And so good King Hezekiah, he breaks it into pieces. Now, why does Hezekiah do all these things? Uh, well, look there, very encouraging, verse 5. It says, uh, verse 5, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord God of Israel. Uh, and it's just such an encouragement, isn't it? Particularly in the, the context of our Two Kings series, uh, here is the leader of God's people, a man who trusts in the Lord. Uh, but as is so often in the case of uh, the Bible and history, uh, genuine faith is often shown in the face of oppression. Uh, and that's the case for Hezekiah here. Uh, the oppression comes from the nation of Assyria. 
Okay, so Assyria, they were a foreign nation, and they were like the superpower of the time, right? They had the biggest army. They were going around beating everyone in different wars. Uh, in fact, we met the Assyrians last week. Uh, if you remember, they had attacked the, the northern part of Israel, and uh, they had captured Samaria, the capital city of the north, and that was really the end of the northern part of Israel. But now the Assyrians, they had their eyes set on the, the southern part of Israel, the tribe of Judah, and particularly the city of Jerusalem. Why is that? Well, you can look there in, uh, in verse 7. It tells us that Hezekiah, uh, that he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. So obviously the king of Assyria didn't like this. So what does he do? We'll look there down at verse 13. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, attacked all the fortified cities of Judah and captured them. So you can see the king of Assyria is, well, he's on the assault. And Jerusalem, the capital city, is the last one standing. Right? And so, uh, well, the king of Assyria has his eyes set on Jerusalem. So what does Hezekiah do then? Well, a little bit surprising. Verse 14, he says to the king of Assyria, I'm sorry, I've done the wrong thing. I'll give you whatever you want, right? This was not a, a good thing for King Hezekiah to do. A reminder, he was a, he was a good and faithful king, but he, he wasn't perfect, right? He was a work in progress. And so King Hezekiah, he strips the temple of gold and he gives it off to uh, the king of Assyria. But in the end, it doesn't work, right? The Assyrians, they take the money and then they still bring their massive army to the city of Jerusalem. Uh, and that kind of brings us to the, the main part or the main situation of our, of our chapters today. So I've got a little picture here to show you uh, what's going on. Right? So you can see here, here's the city of Jerusalem. And uh, it was a city built for defence. So you can see it's got different uh, walls and things like that. So we've got the king, King Hezekiah, right, the leader of God's people. He's inside the city of Jerusalem, okay? The last stronghold for the tribe of Judah, the southern part of Israel. But outside is the Assyrian army, okay? So we've got this big army here. They outnumber the people in the city, right? They're looking very, um, very menacing there, right? So we've got the Assyrian army surrounding them. Now, the king of Assyria doesn't seem like he's here at that point. Uh, instead, he has his little representative. Here we go, this guy called the Rabshaka, okay? So he's kind of representing the Assyrian army and the king of Assyria, kind of like he's uh, his spokesperson. And he calls for King Hezekiah, uh, but King Hezekiah sends out, here we go, these uh, three officials who are representing the king, so representing King Hezekiah, right? So you can see the situation that's been happening. Uh, and then what we have in, in, in Two Kings is a series of speeches, right? So the Rabshakeh, the leader of the Assyrians, uh, he speaks to the officials and he, well, he gives this speech, right? Now the speech is quite straightforward. Basically he says, you're going to lose, right? Give up now, you're going to lose. Uh, he says, there's no one who can help you Egypt won't help you. And then he says, your God will not help you. You may as well give up. Now, the three officials, they're representing King Hezekiah. They say to the Rabshakeh, look, can you please not speak Hebrew? Right? Hebrew was the language the people in the city understood. 
uh, and they say, look, can you speak Aramaic instead, a different language, right? That was a language the officials could understand, but not the people in the city. But have a listen, verse 27, look there, listen to how the Rabbi Shaka replies. So verse 27, the Rabbi Shaka said to them, he says, has my master, the king of Assyria, has he sent me only to your master and to you to speak these words? Hasn't he also sent me to the men who sit on the wall, destined with you to eat their own excrement and drink their own urine? Uh, it's a pretty confronting speech, isn't it? <laughs> the things that uh, Rabbi Shaka says. Uh, but this is the reality of a siege, right? Rather than the Assyrian army sort of try and go against the walls of Jerusalem, instead they would just surround the city and then basically starve the people inside until they gave up. And so what happens next is the Rabbi Shaka gives his second speech. He deliberately chooses to speak in Hebrew so the people in the city can understand it. He calls out loudly, uh, and then he gives his, his second speech. Uh, and in many ways, it's the same as the first one. It says, you've got no hope, you're going to lose, you may as well give up. Right? Don't trust Hezekiah, he can't save you. Don't trust your God, he can't save you. But then in verse 31, look there, verse 31, he, well, he gives an offer of peace. Right? And it, it sounds pretty good. Right? Verse 31, he says, Make peace with me and surrender to me. Then every one of you may eat from his own vine and his own fig tree, and everyone may drink water from his own cistern. Right? Sounds pretty good, right? Pretty good offer of peace, but it comes at a cost, right? And the cost is in verse 32. He says, well, until I come and take you away to a land like your own land. So if Hezekiah and the people, if they surrender, they will need to give up Jerusalem, and this is a problem, right? Because in the Old Testament, Jerusalem, this was the place that God had said, I will establish my name. And so if Hezekiah and the people, if they give up on Jerusalem, effectively, they're giving up on God. And so what the Assyrians are saying then is they're giving them an ultimatum, right? You can make peace with us and live in abundance and peace, but give up on your God. Or you can keep trusting your so-called God, but you will die. All right? You see it kind of summed up, I think, in verse 35. Look there, the end of the second speech. The Rabshaka says, Who among all the gods of the land has delivered his land from my power? So will the Lord deliver Jerusalem? And obviously for the Rabshaka, he thinks the answer is no. Right? The Lord, sorry, the Lord will not and cannot deliver Jerusalem. So what will Hezekiah do? Right? King Hezekiah, he's in the city, the army's there, what does he do? Well, it's, it's actually really encouraging. <laughs> See, King Hezekiah turns to the Lord. Right? He goes to the prophet Isaiah to seek his help. Right? The prophet Isaiah, who wrote the book of Isaiah, he's around at the time. And so King Hezekiah goes to him and says, look, we need your help. Right? And then God makes a promise through Isaiah. He said, the king of Assyria who's threatened you, 
he will go back home to his hometown and he will be killed, right? But before the king of Assyria makes it back to his home, there's one last threat, okay? It's not from the Rabshakeh, it's from the king of Assyria himself, right? The king of Assyria, uh, he sends a letter, right, to Hezekiah. And that's what we read about, so chapter 19 uh, from verse 8 and following, right? This letter that comes from the king of Assyria uh, to Hezekiah. Now, in many ways, the letter is the same as before. It says, you're going to lose, you're going to die, you may as well give up. But the letter does go a little bit further, right? Look with me at uh, verse 10, right? So this is kind of the, the content of the letter, uh, this is the, the king of Assyria speaking. He says, say this to uh, Hezekiah, king of Judah. Uh, verse 10, don't let your God, whom you trust, deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be handed over to the king of Assyria. So here we have a human king, right? A human saying, don't trust God. In fact, your God will deceive you. His words are not to be trusted. That's quite shocking, isn't it? I mean, this is the height of human arrogance for the creature (laughs) to say to the creator, or to say about him, do not trust his words. Whatever he has promised, it is not true. Right? But this is what the king of Assyria does. So you can imagine for King Hezekiah, right? he's in the city of Jerusalem, he gets this letter, the third threat right, from the Assyrians. What does he do? Well, again, it's, it's really encouraging, right? He, he turns to the Lord. He turns to God, the one who can help him. That's what we see in verses 14 and following. Hezekiah, he takes the letter, he goes to the temple, and he, and he says this really encouraging prayer, right? He speaks to God. You can, you can see that in verse 15 and following. And it's really encouraging, right? In the prayer, he talks about how God is the one true God. He talks about uh, the, the, the gods of the foreign nations, their idols, right? And at the end, he he says something really encouraging, right? The reason for his prayer, right? Have a listen as as I read it out. So let me read from verse 15. He says, Lord God of Israel, who is enthroned above the cherubim, you are God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you made the heavens and the earth. Listen closely, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Hear the words that Sennacherib, king of Assyria, has sent to mock you, the living God. Lord, it is true that the kings of Assyria have devastated the nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but made by human hands, wood and stone. So they have destroyed them. Now, here's the the request, now, Lord our God, please save us from his hand. But listen to the reason, right? So that, here's the reason, so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God and you alone. Right? Can you see for King Hezekiah, his concern is for the glory of his God. He wants everyone to know about how great his God is. It's really encouraging, isn't it? But it is also a bit of a challenge for us as well. 
I mean, in our church, we've been thinking a lot about prayer in our gospel teams, right? I trust you've been praying during the week, right? You spend time talking to God. But it's worth reflecting, you know, what have your prayers been like? Do they share the same concern for the glory of God? Right? It's a bit of a challenge, isn't it, when we see Hezekiah so concerned to see God glorified. Is that true of your prayers? Is that the reason that you pray to the God who reigns over all? Right? Perhaps something you can reflect on in the week ahead. But having given this uh, wonderful prayer from Hezekiah, from verse uh, 20 and following, we basically see the reply from God through the prophet Isaiah. Okay? And it is, well, in many ways, a rebuke against Sennacherib, king of Assyria. And basically, the response from the Lord is, well, you human king, you think you're so great, so strong and mighty, but you're not. <laughs> In fact, everything that has happened has been according to my plan and according to my will. Right? So if you look there, for example, verse 25, this is Isaiah speaking the word of the Lord. He says, uh, verse 25, Have you not heard? I designed it long ago. I planned it in days gone by. I have now brought it to pass, and you have crushed fortified cities into piles of rubble. So we're seeing that everything that has happened has been according to the will and plan of God. But look there at uh, verse 28. He, God says to the king of Assyria, You know, you're just uh, an instrument in my hand. You have brought about the judgment that I planned. But now, verse 28, he says, well, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth. I will make you go back the way you came. And so the Lord says of the king of Assyria, you've done what I wanted you to do, and now I will send you home. And so for all the threats of this chapter, right, three times the Assyrians have said, your God cannot save you. And what do we see? Well, in one night, right? Look there, verse 35. In one night, <laughs> the true and living God acts. Right? One night recorded in one verse. <laughs> verse 35, that night, the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. See, for all the human arrogance, well, here we see the Lord showing his true might and power. One night, right, one verse, the Assyrian army is decimated and the king of Assyria heads back home. There's kind of a little bit of an ending to the story, end of the chapter. See, the king of Nineveh, he goes back to his hometown of Nineveh and uh, while he's there, he goes to the temple of his own God. And uh, while he's worshipping, he's killed right, by his two sons. Uh, and I think it's a great example of poetic justice. You think of the king of Assyria. He'd said, you know, your God cannot save you from my massive army. And yet what happens to the king of Assyria? He's worshipping his own God, a false God. And that God cannot save him in the very act of worshipping from two people in his own family, right? It's a bit of a poetic justice, isn't it? That the arrogant human king 
would fall in that way. Uh, Well, that brings us then to the end of uh, chapter 19 and the end of the Assyrian uh, army and their threat. Uh, But it's worth just pausing for a moment and thinking a little bit about how these chapters might encourage us as Christians. Uh, And I think in many ways it's, it's a wonderful encouragement to us, isn't it? To know that the God that we follow, that he is the one who is powerful, right? He is mighty. This big army was here, but in one night, one verse... Right? destroyed right? by the true and living God. Uh, and it's a wonderful encouragement for us to keep trusting in the Lord. See, for us as Christians, right, we shouldn't be surprised that people will mock us. We shouldn't be surprised that people will make fun of us or make fun of our God. I mean, the Assyrians made fun of Hezekiah, right? We shouldn't be surprised that as Christians that people will mock and make fun of us. But what we're encouraged in this chapter is no matter what people say, our God is a God who can be trusted. Right? No matter what people say, our God is a God who can be trusted. Well, as I said at the beginning, uh, we've spent most of our time on chapters 18 and 19. Uh, we're going to look very, very briefly at chapters 20 and 21 a lot faster and, uh, but I think helpful just for us to have a, uh, just a little bit of a look uh, because it really kind of, these chapters set up for the end of two kings and it's important just to have a little bit of an understanding. Uh, I'd encourage you to go home and read them uh, much more carefully, right? But I'm just, very briefly, we'll just say a couple of things about uh, chapter 20 and uh, 21. All right, so chapter 20, it tells the rest of Hezekiah's life. Uh, he gets sick. The prophet Isaiah says, Hezekiah, you will die. Then Hezekiah prays, right? Verse 3, you see his prayer there. And uh, I, I don't know about you, but it, it, it's a bit disappointing. <laughs> I mean, we think of that great prayer of Hezekiah before, and he gets sick, and he says, well, look, I've been pretty good. Can you get me better? Right? There's no talk of the glory of God or anything like this. Uh, God graciously does answer his prayer with a yes, Uh, So you can see there, verse 6, I will add 15 years to your life. But I think there's a little bit of a rebuke for Hezekiah as well, right? Verse 6, I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city for, what's the reason? Right, for my sake, right? And for the sake of my servant David. But when Hezekiah is sick, he gets uh, a visit from uh, people from a distant place called Babylon, uh, this time of history, the Babylons, uh, Babylonians from Babylon were not particularly uh, important, right? Uh, they come and visit Hezekiah with a little get well card and a, you know, a gift, right? And uh, Hezekiah, he's, uh, well, he shows them everything, right? Gives them the grand tour, shows them everything that he has. But then the prophet Isaiah says, well, the Babylonians, they will come back. And they will take everything that you have shown them. Right? In fact, they will take people from your own family, your descendants, and they will take them away to Babylon. Uh, and that really sets us up for the end of two kings. Right? The Babylonians, they overtake the Assyrians as the superpower. And it's at the hands of the Babylonians that Jerusalem will eventually fall Right at the end of two kings. But what's really interesting, and I think, well, a little bit sad about Hezekiah, is is verse 19, right? 
So he's just heard the Babylonians will come back and take away everything, uh, including um, some of his descendants. Uh, look there what Hezekiah says. Uh, Hezekiah said to Isaiah, he says, the word of the Lord you have spoken is, is good. right? For he thought, why not? If there will be peace and security during my lifetime. Now, I think we've, we've got to be a little bit careful. I mean, Hezekiah was described as a king who was faithful to God. But it's a bit disappointing, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, this is the man who had that wonderful prayer about the glory of God. And here he says, well, you know, as long as my life has peace and comfort, you know, things will be all right. It, it's pretty disappointing, isn't it, right? Perhaps in his old age, he kind of loses some of his zeal and focus on the glory of God. Uh, and it's hard, I think, not to see a bit of a, a rebuke of our own culture and our own time as this. Uh, in our time, our world really values comfort, isn't it? Isn't that one of the most important things, to be comfortable, to be happy, right? And it's very easy for us as Christians to take that on. As we think about our own life, to think, well, you know, as long as I'm comfortable, as long as I'm happy, then things are okay. And in my retirement, as long as I've got enough to live on and I can, you know, do all the things that I want to do, well, that, that's okay, right? It's very easy for us to take on that kind of thinking. But, but I think that's a mistake, isn't it? I mean, for us as Christians, we want to be concerned with the glory of our God. We want to see the gospel go out to all nations, right? And of course, we want to see that in our own generation, right? We want to see people become Christians. Uh, but surely we want that for the generations that will come as well, that we should have a real concern to see the gospel continue to go out uh, for generation until generation until the Lord returns. Um, perhaps something we might like just to again, keep thinking about, about what are the things that are most important to us in the way that we live. But coming back to two kings, Hezekiah, he dies, and his son Manasseh becomes king, right? And that's who we read about in chapter 21. And after, well, King Hezekiah, a great king, right? So encouraging. His son Manasseh is the worst king, right? The worst king of all. And uh, you can see, if you just sort of skim over verse 1 to 9, he basically undoes everything that Hezekiah did. Uh, so he rebuilds the high places, he re-establishes the altars for Baal, he makes an Asherah. Uh, if you skip down to verse 9, right, Manasseh caused God's people to stray so that they did greater evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. That, that's terrible, right? That's a really terrible thing to happen. For God's people to be worse than the nations who were there before them. Right? This, this is really bad, right? Manasseh was a really bad king, right? So, well, verse 10 to 15, we have the promise of judgment, right? So look there, halfway through verse 13, this is the Lord speaking against Jerusalem. He says, I will wipe Jerusalem clean as one wipes a bowl, wiping it down and turning it upside down. I will abandon the remnant of my inheritance and hand them over to their enemies. Why is that? Well, verse 15, because they have done what is evil in my sight. 
Uh, and again, this sets us up for the end of two kings. Right? The Babylonians, they will return, and as part of God's judgment, well, Jerusalem will fall. Well, Manasseh eventually uh, dies, and his son Amon becomes king. He only reigns for two years, so a very short time. He too is evil like his father. He dies, and then his son becomes king, who is called Josiah. And Josiah was? Well, I was, I was going to say you got to come back next week. <laughs> uh, but he was a good king. Yes, he was a good king, right? So make sure you're here next week. We'll hear the encouragement of, uh, of King Josiah. Uh, but there you go. We've come to the end of uh, chapter 21, right? If you remember what we've looked at, we looked at good King Hezekiah, right? So encouraging to, uh, to see his, his faith and his trust in God. But then we did end on a little bit of a sour note with, uh, with Manasseh, right? The worst king of all. But before we leave Manasseh, there is just one more thing I think we need to say, right? And interestingly, not recorded in two kings, but if you look at two chronicles, right, which is the kind of parallel retelling of these events, uh, we, we see that Manasseh was taken captive and taken away. Uh, but look at these words, right? This is from 2 Chronicles chapter 33. So when Manasseh was in distress, he sought the favour of Yahweh his God and earnestly humbled himself before the God of his ancestors. He prayed to him, so he heard his petition and granted his request and brought him back to Jerusalem, to his kingdom. So Manasseh came to know that Yahweh is God. It's a beautiful illustration of God's grace, isn't it? You think of all the things that Manasseh did, and yet it seems from this verse he found the forgiveness in the grace of our God. And of course, for us as Christians, we know so much more of the grace of God. The wonderful thing we know as Christians is no matter what someone has done, and Asa was pretty bad, right? <laughs> no matter what someone has done, the wonderful promise of the gospel is if they turn to Jesus, they will be forgiven. Right? Why? Well, because Jesus died on the cross to take our sin. Isn't that the good news that we want to share? Right? No matter what someone has done, in fact, no matter what you have done, if someone turns to Jesus, they will be forgiven. How great to remember the grace of our God and a great thing for us to give thanks to God for. Let's join together in prayer. Our Father, we are reminded of your wonderful grace the wonderful forgiveness that we enjoy because of Jesus. Our Father, we are thankful that we could meet together this afternoon to hear your word. We thank you for that wonderful encouragement of Hezekiah. And Father, we pray that for us in our own life that we would be concerned for your glory, that we would love to share the good news of Jesus and that we would love to live as your servants. And Father, we thank you for that wonderful illustration of grace in the life of Manasseh. And Father, we pray that we as your people would know the depths of your grace, not just in our head, but in our hearts. That wonderful, wonderful news that because of Jesus, we can be forgiven. And we pray that we would know and believe that each and every day. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.